T-minus 10, 9. You're listening to the Launchpad Podcast with J-Man. Brought to you by Galant Media. Here's your host, J-Man. And so, yeah, I, I, I had a clothing line and I was trying to sell some clothing to the local professional baseball team. And, uh, and the PR guy said, why don't you come play a couple games next weekend with us? And I was like, really? And he said, yeah, we'd love to, we'd love to have you. So I suited up for a couple of games and, uh, got a hit in my first at bat. So, you know, it was awesome. Oh, wow. So Wikipedia actually turned out to be a good resource right there. Yep. So I finished my, my professional baseball career with a 333 batting average, which, Puts me in the Baseball Hall of Fame, right? That's right. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) I am sitting across from one of the greatest hockey players of all time. Uh, If there's a gold medal to be won, he's won it, including a Stanley (laughs) Cup. Uh, You're also the author of Playing With Fire. I want to talk about that book. Fantastic. And you're an advocate for sexual abuse victims. And now you're the Chief Relationship Officer for Metamedical Solutions VR. Welcome to the program, Theo Fleury. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So we touched on baseball <laughs> and how did you come around to NSA anyways and raising awareness for that organization was just what one of many, or is there a relationship that you have there? Yeah. So I have a really good friend. His name is Andy Batty and uh, he's actually an intervention an interventionist. And uh, I put on a, a men's, uh, sexual abuse golf tournament in uh, Belleville, Ontario, of all places. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andy actually came to the very first tournament that we did. So I sort of got to know him then. And uh, after that golf tournament, we, we kept in touch. And he does a lot of uh, charity events uh, out west in Vancouver and, and British Columbia. And uh, he called me up and he said, yeah, we have this uh, – huge uh softball tournament in Kamloops BC I'm going to put on an event there home run derby would you want would you would you be willing to come and I'm like sure I'd absolutely love to come and so that's how that sort of you know all came about and we raised a whole bunch of money for for a couple of his uh causes and and whatnot so uh yeah he's a he's a he's an awesome guy and and uh I've seen him do a tremendous amount of healing since the very like when I met him the first time, like he was, he was pretty crazy. And uh, over the years, I've seen him sort of blossom into this uh, really cool guy who's uh, always, always, always helping people. So that's, uh, that's cool to see. Yeah. So there's somebody else <laughs> that I know that knows you. <laughs> and uh, this goes back a, a couple of years and it was the Saddle Dome. I am familiar with a gentleman named Ben Roots, who's yep. from the Ottawa Valley. Yes. And yep. I used to work as a country music radio announcer. Oh, okay. In the Valley. I actually went to school in Bell Vegas as well. I went to Loyola okay. College. So a lot <laughs> oh, of ties wow. here. A lot of ties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was playing with Johnny Reed, Juno winner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And apparently at the Saddle Dome, you got up on stage and you sang a tune. Do you remember what song that was? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I, I had met Johnny through, uh, so, uh, what was it? Can't remember how many years ago, uh, we came out with a country music album that, uh, I spent six years putting this album together because I knew it had to be done perfect and right because, uh, Carl Lewis ruined it for all of us guys that, uh, you know, were athletes that were trying to become singers. Right. Right. (laughs) And, uh, and so I knew that I had to, you know, this hat, this album had to be really good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so one of the guys I was, I, I I had been friends with for a long time was a guy named Ron Sakamoto, you know, Ron Sakamoto. I've heard the name. He's like, yeah, he's one of the biggest, uh, country music promoters in, in all of the world. And, uh, I'd met Ron at a golf tournament, you know, I think the summer after we won the Stanley Cup, I was at the uh, Sutter Brothers Golf Tournament in Lethbridge, Ontario, uh, Alberta. And I played golf with Ron. And uh, 
you know, he told me he was a country music promoter and I was like, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm the biggest country music guy on the planet. And, you know, I was country before, you know, when country wasn't cool. And, uh, and so I, every big concert that came to Calgary, Ron would always call me and say, Hey, you want tickets? And so, you know, I got to see Garth Brooks and Brooks and Dunn and all these, you know, great bands, got to meet them, got to hang out with them. And, uh, and so when I started down the music trail, uh, you know, I called Ron with a bunch of my demos. I sent a bunch of my demos to Ron and, uh, he was like blown away. He's like, this stuff is really, really good. And I was like, good. And, uh, and so, uh, I ended up meeting Johnny Reed through Ron and, uh, and Johnny was like, Hey, uh, we're playing at the stampede in Calgary. He says, why don't you get up in the middle of my show and do one of your songs? And I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, he said, it'd be great to have you come up. And so uh, the very first song I ever wrote was basically uh, a song about my life in music called As As The Story Goes. And so uh, there was 15,000 people uh, at the Saddle Dome that night. It was the 100th anniversary of the Calgary Stampede and – I got up with my band and, uh, you know, we belted out this tune and it was, oh, it was awesome. It was so much fun. And Johnny's such a, an amazing guy and what a, what an entertainer he is, yeah. you know, like he puts on, you know, I would say, uh, well, the best entertainer is Garth Brooks and then Johnny Reed probably be a second uh, guy that I would say that is a real true, you know, entertainer. Right. And some of your influences I was reading. Rest in peace, Charlie Pride. I know. Uh, we just lost him. Sad day, man. Yeah. I was, you know, I grew up, you know, my dad's an entertainer, right? And uh, and he sang all Charlie Pride songs, you know, Buck Owens, you know, uh, all those guys like that. And so that's, you know, that's, those are the guys I grew up listening to. And so, uh, you know, our, our sort of you know, genres kind of rockabilly country is what, you know, is, is our genre. So, which is kind of like Buck Owens and, and Dwight Yoakam has, uh, you know, all the guys in my band, they love Dwight Yoakam too. So there's kind of that influence in our music. So it's great. Well, I'm going to jump around a whole bunch because you've sure. done so much. It's hard to keep it linear. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it would be a mess. It would be a mess. Yes, exactly. Uh, so let's go to 2015. And you release a country music album, I Am Who I Am. And Ben, when I was talking to him about you on stage, he's like, this guy's got chops. Like, this is a legitimate <laughs> country music album, right? Because there's so many people that are famous in one area. They try to do something else. And quite frankly, it's not good. I right. listened to quite a few tracks on your album. And you bring it. And Well, thank that, you. No problem. That was obviously therapeutic to some degree on top of like this unsurmountable I think happiness and joy like it's kind of a clashing of the two is it not yeah absolutely um you know I I I guess I've always been in the entertainment business right being an athlete you know you're an entertainer and you know same with speaking you know you're on stage you know entertaining people inspiring people all this stuff and so Um, and because sexual abuse is such a, uh, topic that's rarely spoken about, um, and I'm very familiar, very comfortable in that space. And, you know, after I wrote my book, you know, I was like, geez, if I can write a book, I'm sure I can write songs, right. You know? And I had a friend in the, in the music business who works for Sony uh, Sony and he lives in Winnipeg and our dads used to play music together before we were even born. And, uh, my buddy in, in, uh, Manitoba, when he was 14 years old, he was this, he was a really great hockey player. And, uh, uh, 14 years old, his parents bought him a guitar and he quit playing hockey. And all he did was spend the next four or five years in his room playing this guitar. And, uh, and so I called him up and, and uh, I said, Hey, I want to stroke something off my bucket list. I said, would you 
write a song with me? And he's like, yeah, I'd love to. And so I went to Winnipeg and, and we wrote this uh, song called As the Story Goes. And, you know, when he sent it back to me, <clears throat> when it was finished, you know, I listened to it and I was like, man, this is, you know, this is really good. And so I, I phoned him and I said, what do you think of this song? I, he goes, yeah, it's a great song. And so I kept going back to Winnipeg and spending more time with him and writing more songs. And so uh, we ended up writing 30 songs and we picked the 10 best and uh, found a recording studio here in Calgary and, uh, you know, recorded the I Am Who I Am album. And uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Uh, it was very cathartic. And, you know, basically the album is playing with fire, my book in, in uh, music. The musical. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Now, you transcend in everything that you do. Like there's always a next level up, but there's the, <laughs> there's the regular person. Then there's Theo. Right. <laughs> the same thing kind of happened with your music. Not only did you make an album in 2015, but you're also immortalized in a video game. Yes. <laughs> I'm a big gamer. <laughs> and okay. so, oddly enough though, I mean, you know, it was not in your sport. Uh, it's in football, in, in a Madden right. game. Right. Yeah. How did that come to be? Huh. So uh, the first year I went to Mario Lemieux's fantasy camp in Pittsburgh, I was sitting beside this kid <clears throat> in the dressing room. And uh, he's from St. Louis. And uh, I have one NHL record, okay? I scored three shorthanded goals in one game in St. Louis in 1991. And this kid, Michael Young, who was sitting beside me, says to me, he goes, I just want to share this with you. He goes, I was nine years old sitting in the stands at the old St. Louis arena <clears throat> the night that you scored your shorthanded hat trick. I was like, holy shit. Wow, that's, that's amazing. <clears throat> so then I said to him, I said, uh, so what do you do for a living? He goes, I build the Madden football game. I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. But before that, he worked on the NHL uh, game for EA Sports before that, before he moved on to, to Madden, right? And so we became really great friends at this camp and we exchanged numbers. And then like two years later, I get this random text from him saying, Hey, I've been listening to your music. He goes, I fucking love your music. He goes, uh, you know, would you would you write a song for the Madden football game? And I'm like, yeah, I would. Okay. So he sends me the parameters and the script for uh, this thing that they're doing with the with the Madden football game. And uh, and so we write this song called Long Shot. And uh, um, it's an awesome song, like really yeah. cool song, good vibe, you know, talking about going to the combine and all this stuff. And, and so, yeah, it's on the 2018 Madden football game. So that's pretty wild. What's also uh, wild, and I'm sorry, I'm going to fanboy out just a little bit. Like I used to play your character <laughs> in video games. Of course. You were like the fastest dude. I think it was like you and McGillney were like, did you ever track yeah. – the progress of your player in video games were you ever into it that way or did you ever play your own character i was awful at the hockey right? really yeah and uh what i loved i loved the the pga tour game on okay. sega genesis right the best. yes yeah was unreal and uh and you know what's funny is i just saw the documentary for the 94 uh, um, EA Sports hockey game. Did you Have you seen that documentary yet? No, I didn't even know that was out. Oh, my God. Like, there's a guy that lives way up in the Yukon who, like, did a whole documentary on this cult of 94 uh, <laughs> people. And it's awesome. It's okay. so great. The documentary is awesome. And I was actually up in the Yukon speaking, I was doing a speaking tour through the Yukon and he caught wind that I was going to be there. And so I'm actually, 
I'm in the documentary talking about this this video game. So it's kind of cool. Oh, nice. I'm going to have to check that out. I mean, I played those games like nobody's business. And too bad that was in an era where there's no money. Now kids are making a million dollars playing these games. <laughs> Bananas. It's crazy, huh? Man, I missed my time. You did. Now, I'd like to move into the book. Yep. And you've already made a couple of references to it incredibly powerful book anyone that i know that has read it and i've recommended it to many all love it and it resonated with me in the fact that i had gone through a very deep depression and i never realized that i had a problem with alcohol until i went through that depression right and i was also the type of individual which really compounded it is that i would have told someone like me that was going through something like that to go read a book, you know, go do some personal mm-hmm. development, figure it out, go for a walk. Right. Yeah. And there's this line in your book and it's right off the top. And I literally kind of stopped reading right there. And you said, I sat there forever shivering so hard. The barrel was bouncing off my teeth. Like, do you remember that sound? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that feeling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> that was that was 16 years ago, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I think anybody who has a trauma history like mine eventually gets to that place or that point in their life where, you know, you have to make a decision. Am I going to live or am I going to die? And for me, that was the. You know, that was that moment. Um, and I, 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 like, I didn't want to end my life, but I was completely exhausted from living in emotional pain and suffering for the majority of my life. And, you know, I tried everything on the planet to get rid of this. And, you know, when I couldn't pull the trigger, you know, that was a sign that, you know, I better figure this out, Right. I better figure out how to live with all of this trauma, right? And, you know, that was the beginning of this journey that I've been on for the last 16 years is, you know, figuring out how to, how to, how to live life on life's terms, right? And come to some sort of uh, understanding and peace with what, you know, what, with what happened to me, Right. And, uh, you know, thank God I've been able to figure it out. But, you know, the book was the turning point in my life, right? Is when, you know, I sort of transitioned from being Theo Fleury, the hockey player, to Theo Fleury, the advocate and the activist, right? Because um, it was unbelievable how many people during that book tour uh, came up to me at the book signing table and said, me too. Right. Wow. Or, you know, Hey, I read your story. You read, you know, you told my story, uh, me too. Right. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, I've been, in, I've been in this space now since, since then, you know, working in trauma, mental health and addiction. And so, um, you know, I really believe it's, it, you know, it's the true purpose for my life. You know, I always thought I was just going to be a hockey player and then, you know, go, sort of fade off into the sunset. But, you know, the the universe had a bigger plan for me, right? And, uh, you know, gave me this voice and, and uh, you know, I, I definitely use it at every, you know, every opportunity I get to talk about um, the, what, what I think is the biggest epidemic on the planet. It's not COVID-19. It's uh, trauma, mental health, and addiction is the biggest, you know, right. epidemic on the planet. Right. It's uh, a difficult place to be. And I, I can only imagine what you've been through. And I know for myself is that there's this suffering in silence and an embarrassment. And for me, it was that I've been a business owner. I have led teams. And I thought that that wasn't something that I could share with people because I wouldn't be able to get them to follow me anymore. Like if I have a drinking problem, they're not going to follow me anymore. If I'm depressed, they're not going to follow me anymore. What was the number one thing that you had to identify within yourself to start that healing? 
Well, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? Yeah. You so know? that was really the rock bottom. Like that yeah. is the rock bottom. And you do you believe that everyone that has gone down that hole as far as you did, there's a point of no return where you just have to hit that bottom to get any better? Well, I, I think everybody has their own bottom, some right. more, extre- more extreme than others. Fair. Um, to me, it was, you know, it was the gun, right? The right. gun for me was, you know, like, I, I, I might not be here, right? You know what I mean? And, uh, and so, um, and surrender, right? Right. Surrender is a big, big part of it. Okay. And uh, uh, asking for help, right? You know, I always say the day that I asked for help was the day that I saved my own life was the day I asked for help. And, uh, you know, the stigma attached to that statement, you know, is, uh, as an advocate, that's what I fight every single day is stigma, Uh right? And what I tell people is if you suffer from some sort of mental illness, guess what? You're in the majority. You're not in the minority, you know? And, um, you know, we have all these mental health campaigns, which the first line is always one in five Canadians. And I'm like, why are we shaming the one person who has mental illness? Why are we singling them out when actually it's five and five? It's all of us. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and, you know, changing the language, right. You know, getting rid of labels, anxiety, depression, right. Those, those labels keep keep the disease or the uh, affliction in place because there's there's no safe space to talk about depression there's no safe space to talk about anxiety and panic disorder there's no place to talk about ocd there's no place to talk about post traumatic stress disorder there's no place for that and so uh, uh being vulnerable is the key to all of this. And when you get to that place of vulnerability, that's where all the healing is. Right? Is that, you know, I don't have to uh, carry this facade, right? Because we're all so good at wearing lipstick, right? I call it lipstick. When we leave the house, you know, we're put together, right? But you know, the, the insides have to match the outsides and you can only carry that facade for so long before you're going to have, you know, some sort of breakdown. Uh Right. Right. And so, you know, the vulnerability piece is to me is the key to all of this because vulnerability creates safety. And then when you have safety, that's when the magic of healing happens is, is when you feel safe where you can talk about, you know, all the crazy shit that you did and nobody's going to judge you and people understand, Hey, I've been there. Right. And in the book, I don't think I could have been more vulnerable in the book. You know, I just laid it all out there because I didn't care what people thought of me. I just wanted to get better and I didn't want to die. I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, making that choice and making that decision, you know, changed my life. Right. And that book, turned into a movie slash doc, uh, which I also watched. And I was fascinated by Chelsea Piers. Mm. Uh, you are a kind, you're a kind human. There's a kindness in you, like a, a really strong nucleus of, of kindness. And I saw that throughout the documentary with the gentleman that would park your car and you tip them oh, generously. That was unbelievable. Yeah. Jacques, his name is Jacques. I'll never forget that guy. Yeah. And what is it about him that made him so memorable to you? Just, I I respected how hard he worked and how much pride he took in his job, you know, and I never saw him in a bad mood ever. Never saw him in a bad mood. You know, he was happy to be alive, you know, and uh, 
you know, the, the amount of respect and the amount of kindness in which he provided me in the three years that I was a New York Ranger was, you know, he was one of my favorite guys, mm-hmm. you know, That's because awesome. when, because when, you know, when you're heading to uh, the rink to play, right. Who's the first person you see right. before you enter the building? It's Jacques and he's right. fucking pumped me a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? You know, and he works in a parking garage. So what does right. that tell you? Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, what does that tell you? And the, the reaction was priceless. Like it was, that mm-hmm. was, that was an Academy Award moment <laughs> in, the, yes. in the documentary for sure. Right. Now we'll take it down a notch and, and talk about the peers. And you said you would always bring wine and you'd give them a couple of bucks, right? You're hanging out with obviously homeless people. Are these other people that also have addictions or are you the worst one around that barrel of fire? Are you looking at all these other guys? Like they kind of have their shit together a little bit more than me or. Well, I don't think the real world at that time could relate to what had happened to me. Right. And, um, the guys that I would sit, you know, drink with around the burning barrel, they all had trauma. Right. Right. You know, they were abused, abandoned, neglected, fucking you, you name it. Right. And, and so I could relate, you know, I had trouble relate. Like when I was on the ice, I had no trouble relating. Right. Cause that was my space. I was, you know, I knew everything. My, my brain was, you know, uh, fully there. Mm-hmm. But when I left the rink, I, I, I didn't know who I was, right? right? Because I had this secret, right, that I was carrying around. And when I went to talk to these guys around the burning barrel, there was no judgment ever. You know, there was only understanding. There was, you know, there was a lot of caring. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed listening to their stories and their struggles. And, you know, uh, I would say that, the majority of those guys were way happier than I was. And I thought, how could this be? Right. You know, I have everything. I have everything, fame, fortune, money, all that stuff. And, and really at the end of the day, that's not what it's about. You know, to me, it's about relationship. Right. Right. And uh, the one relationship that I'd neglected the most was the one that I had with myself. And it wasn't until I started having a relationship with myself that things started to get better because after my abuser left my life, I took over the abuse and I abused myself for many, many years. And it wasn't until I stopped abusing myself that things started to get better. Right. Right. Because I had to find value in myself. Like I had to like myself, I had to take care of myself, you know, those kind of things. And so, you know, the 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 process of healing is a three-step process it's emotional physical and spiritual healing that's that's what has to happen and uh you know i've been on that journey now for like i said almost 15 years and and uh you know i do like myself and i do you know take care of myself better than i ever did at, at any point in my life and when shit's bothering me i i fucking talk about it mm-hmm. yeah theo this is a pg show I'm kidding. I'm oh, I'm sorry. You. I'm fucking with I'm you. Sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always say I grew up in a locker room. Right. Where, you can't help yourself. Where fuck was used as a, a verb, an adjective, a proposition, you know, <laughs> all of it, right? Right. Uh, I'll tell you a great story. So when I was in New York, uh, Ronnie Lowe was my coach. And uh, we had a 45-minute video meeting. And he said, fuck, 450 times in, in 45 minutes. I counted all of them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so. It's a good meeting. Yes. Got a lot yeah. accomplished. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Okay, so. But he got his point across. You he know? did, right. There's something to be said about that word. <laughs> yep. So I also want to pull something out of that story that you told in regards to Chelsea Piers is that don't just look at a homeless person as being a homeless person. That's a person with a story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we all have a story, you know, right. but unfortunately we haven't created a space for those stories. Right. Cause people, so, 
please. People yeah. don't want to, people don't want to hear that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that those are the stories that are actually normal, that, that they're actually portraying what, what is actually happening in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So. Interesting. And there's something else that stuck with me as well because you got emotional. And it was in regards to you couldn't go into two of the three buildings, <laughs> uh, you know, that you played at. Has the United Center and Madison Square Garden made amends with you? I know that you <laughs> reached out and you said whatever. Have they have they gotten over it yet? Like you haven't done enough good at this point to where maybe I don't know. I haven't been back since I haven't been back. Well, I've been to New York once, but uh, once or twice. I think I've been twice. Okay. And uh, the Rangers weren't playing, so there was no, you know, there was no reason for me to to go back there. Uh, I haven't been back to Chicago since I did the documentary. So, okay. you know, yeah. right. So I yeah. want to touch on two dates. Uh, September 18th, 2005. And it was actually a really great cinematic shot <laughs> during the documentary. <laughs> that that really hit. And yeah. you said that you stood there for a while. So I don't know how long a while is. So number one, how long was a while that you were sitting there looking at yourself? And people laugh sometimes at mirror therapy. Like the fact that there's some people out there that cannot make contact with their own eyes in a mirror. They're just yeah. not able to do it. What mm-hmm. was the strongest thought that was running through your mind through those moments of time that you spent in front of your reflection? You know what? I actually think it was the first time in my life that I was actually okay being with myself. Wow. Right? <clears throat> and I, I think it was 45 minutes. That I stood there and, you know, the night before I went to sleep, I, I asked the creator to take away this obsession, right? And at the end of the 45 minutes, I went, holy shit, my prayer has been answered. And that was the, the last day I had a drink or a drug. And that was 5,602 days ago. That's amazing. You know, and, and so, um, that's when I started down this road of, you know, self-discovery and being okay. And, you know, because my biggest fear, I could never be alone, right? right? Could never be with myself. Mm -hmm. And now, fuck, I love it. Right. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing that you can you know, you can get rid of all that fear and all of that shame and guilt and, you know, all those things that sort of hold us in suspended animation, right. For so long that, you know, there is a way to get through this and, and, you know, uh, have peace, have joy, have serenity, you know, these, these kind of things. And ultimately that's what the goal is. Peace, joy, happiness, and serenity is where we're trying to get to. Right. That no matter what space we're in, you know, we have that sense of peace and, and joy and, and serenity. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And congratulations on another day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. Celebrations. Yeah. I don't talk. I, I very rarely talk about how many years I've been sober. I just talk about days. Right. You know, because, you know, as they say in the program, it's a daily reprieve. Mm-hmm. So that's all it is. Cause tomorrow I could drink. Right. Right. But today I'm not. Mm-hmm. So that tells me it's 24 hours, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, in the mental health space, if I think about the past, that's depression. If I right. think about the future, that's anxiety. So what's the goal? The goal is try to be present as much as we can Right. 24 hours at a time. Right. And, you know, we're trying to sleep eight of those hours. (laughs) Right. So basically for 16 hours, you know, I got to try and live, you know, in the moment and in the present, which is, you know, very Buddhist way of, of thinking of things. But, you know, those guys are relatively happy. Those guys. Right. They kind of got their shit together. (laughs) They got their shit together. (laughs) You know, 
I made this uh, post just yesterday, a favorite quote of mine uh, by Zig Ziglar. People often say motivation doesn't last, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, so. it's, 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 it's a daily routine, right? right. You know, especially with, uh, with uh, addiction issues, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a daily thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the object is to get the mind to quiet down, mm-hmm. right? You know, stop racing. Because I, I remember, fuck, like there was so many times when I couldn't shut my brain down. And I said to my first AA sponsor, I go, is there ever going to come a time in my life where I can think about one thought at a time? And he goes, if you do the work, he goes, it'll happen. And, and he was right. You know, it, it did happen. I can think about one thing at a time instead of 4,000 things. Right. Hashtag goals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's great. Here's another date. Uh, September 28th, 2009. Uh, you know, how important was it for you to retire uh, as a Calgary Flame? Well, I think what's more important is that I didn't retire as a suspended player. I think right. That, you know, that was the, that was, you know, and that was the goal at the beginning of the, of the, of the process was, um, you know, I just wanted to be reinstated. Right. Right. There was, you know, the, the training camp stuff was like way out there. I didn't even know if that was a possibility. But what I did was, you know, I got into a routine, a daily routine for nine months. Okay. Because I had to go through a certain process to show the NHL and the NHL doctors that I was, you know, on this on this path. And, uh, and so, yeah, like I was working out six hours a day. I changed my diet, um, you know, the whole nine yards. And, and I think it was three weeks before training camp. I got a call from Daryl Sutter uh, because, you know, I was, you know, I was out, I had three trainers and so, you know, word travels fast in the small city. Like why the fuck is Theo Fleury, you know, training like a madman, you know? And he called me and he said, Hey, so what's happening with reinstatement? I'm like, you know what? Still up in the air. I don't know what's happening. Uh, And he said, well, as soon as you get the word, as soon as you're reinstated, he says, we'd love to have you at flames camp. So the night before camp, I had to fly to Phoenix. Oh, wow. Because Gary Batman was in Phoenix because Phoenix uh, was, you know, a shit show. That franchise was in a, in a, you know, a whole mess. And so Gary called me, said, can you fly to Phoenix? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I flew to Phoenix and uh, met with Gary and he, you know, basically said, you know, love all the work you've done. You know, you're doing amazing. He goes, we're, we're going to reinstate you. So I leave that meeting. I call Daryl and say, I'm in Phoenix right now. I just got reinstated. You know, I want to come to camp. And so the next morning I'm fucking at Calgary Flames training camp. And, uh, you know, it was, it was amazing three weeks, you know, to, right. to, uh, be doing something that I always love to do. And, you know, it was kind of the redemption uh, piece in my story, you know, because I didn't uh, I didn't have a whole lot of credibility and people didn't believe me and, and all that stuff. And so to be able to go to that training camp and have this success, you know, that I did. Um, but what's, you know, what blew me away uh, was I think I did 14 fitness tests in Calgary. Yeah. And at 41 years old. I recorded the highest testing score of the 14, Really, you know, at 41 years old. Yeah. And out of the 52 guys that were at camp, kids that were half my age, I finished 11th out of the 52 guys in the fitness test. And so, you know, I think just that alone was because what was funny was, 
you know, as I started doing the fitness testing, like nobody was around, like no management, no nothing. I was just, you know, testing. And soon as my test results were being, you know, sort of spread around the dressing room, all of a sudden fucking everybody's like watching me, you know, test. And I'm like, what the fuck is this all about? Right. And, uh, and I remember Daryl coming up to me and he said, you know what? He goes, I had no idea that you like that you were taking this as seriously mm-hmm. as, as you were. And so, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> That's a wild story. Yeah. That's a wild story. Yeah. Well, I think I, I started like I was 225 pounds when right. I started. And when I got to camp, I think I was 180 pounds and mm-hmm. I went from 22% body fat to 8% mm-hmm. in nine months. Right. And I lost what fucking 25, 40, 40 pounds. Yeah. I believe you manifested that obviously. I mean, oh, yeah. you put that whole thing into play yeah, and I was, crushed it. Yeah. And then, you know, four years to the day that I got sober I'm in a fucking shootout in the saddle dome. Yes. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And you score. And I score. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, like if people write that into a script, it's like, that's bullshit. Right. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. And you know, it happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And I remember when I stepped over the boards, you know, the place went nuts. Right. For the shootout. You know, and I actually started laughing because I'm like, like, how the fuck does this happen? Right. You know, and then I say to myself, well, I got a fucking score now. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I've always subscribed to the Malcolm Gladwell theory of 10,000 hours. Right. Right. And, uh, and as I was skating in on that breakaway, I was probably as calm as I'd ever been at any point in my life on a breakaway because that instinct and all that practice, you know, took over. And and my forte was breakaways, Mm -hmm. right? I very rarely missed breakaways. And so, you know, all of that training and all that, all those years of, you know, being on the ice, it just took over and, and, uh, you know, when the puck went across the, the goal line, man, that place was nuts. You know, yeah. my kids were coming up to me after the game because, you know, two of them never, never seen me play in the NHL. And uh, they said, you know, do you, do you realize that there was grown men crying in the stands when you when you scored that goal? And I was like, no, I didn't. I didn't realize it because I was, you know, I was in the moment. But, uh, you know, when I got home and I put on all I put on YouTube and people who had recorded it were in the stands. It was unbelievable. Right. And what a moment, because it really was surreal. I can only imagine what it was like for you, but it just doesn't get much more picturesque than that. You're a lone man at center ice, you goalie. And it was a sweet sweet move. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now I know you're a critic of, today's hockey and I am with you you played in the greatest era of hockey yes. ever like it was just you made hockey cards exciting that's how good that era of hockey was right yes. and there were so many amazing players from that time unbelievable every night you were playing against a superstar for the most part and just the amount of points that were being racked up and the freedom that players had to play, but it was also right. rough. It was a rough game. Mm-hmm. Um, who is your favorite player to watch today that you think could have played very well in your era of yesteryear? Yeah. I, I look at Sydney and I look at Ovechkin, right? Right. Those two guys would have fit in quite, quite well you know, in our era of, of playing, you know, I, I really believe the game is way too overcoached. Yeah. You know, um, we have four or five coaches on the bench, you know, and they all have iPads. 
Right. One for each player. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's almost like they're playing Xbox mm-hmm. with these guys. You know? Right. And the way the coach's mentality now is, you know, a zero zero tie and you get a scoring chance in the last minute. Mm-hmm. That's how the game is coached. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas in our era, you know, we had freedom to be a lot more creative. You know, there's, there's very little one-on-one play now. And uh, like, I remember I was watching an old game, Montreal Canadiens, when they were on that Stanley Cup run of five Stanley Cups and Scotty Bowman was the coach. Mm-hmm. Well, he was the only coach. Right. He was running the whole entire bench. Right. So I think, wouldn't it be cool if if you could only have one coach on the bench? How much different the game would be if there was only one, if you're only allowed one coach on the bench? I think they should try it. They've done everything else to the game. They might yeah. as well, why not try one coach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you'd eliminate a lot of, you know, salary. Right. right, a lot of, a lot of moolah. That's not gonna. That's not gonna pan out too well, I think. With the but, like, if you look at football, they have a coach for every, everything. Mm-hmm. Like everything. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, so, and and I believe that coaching is a minor, minor thing in the big picture. Right, okay. it's only one spoke in the ring of the wheel. And uh, it's the players. It's the players that have to play, right? And, uh, you know, I used to hate video sessions. Like, Did you pay attention? It. Did you really pay attention? No. Or, you know, you didn't pay attention no. at all. And you, no. And you went out there anyways and still scored a point a game. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I knew that I could. Right. Like, I knew if I made a mistake that I had the ability and the talent to overcome that, right? Whereas right. there wasn't a lot of guys that could make up for their mistakes. True. Right? You know, I always love that line when uh, uh, Scotty Bowman was coaching Paul Coffey, and uh, I think he benched him for uh, a couple of shifts, and and uh, Scotty said to Paul, he says, okay, get your ass out there. And Paul Coffey says, do you want me to tie it or win it? that's great you know right now you you had mentioned uh, Ovechkin being one of those players do you think he has an opportunity to catch Gretzky with goals do you think that's a possibility yeah anything's possible right but if you know they're only playing 50 games a year it's going to be really hard for him to you know to do that right and he's he's not a spring chicken anymore right so right and now, I believe that it's going to be very rare to see guys play past 35, right? In our era, there was lots of guys that were 40 that were playing. Now, you know, that's, you know, significantly changed. You know, you, uh, I think I saw a stat last night on the TV. I think there's only four guys over 35 that are still playing in the NHL right now. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And you're right. There used to be so many players that could at least get closer. Well, I mean, we have Yarmir. That's playing now. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris Chelios would be the most notable to me as far as my era is concerned, playing yeah. as an older gentleman. Yeah. And look, yeah. you did it. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, you did well, it too. Right. Well, I played, I, I retired, well, I left the game in, when I was 36, mm-hmm. right? And I probably could have played till I was, I don't know, 40 if I would have my shit together. Right. You know? But now, yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I'm conflicted on this point because I want to go into your Hall of Fame numbers, <laughs> right? Is that it's all there. I mean, you have all the awards, like the Olympic medal, a Stanley Cup, a point a game over a long career, and like most of that career was a haze. <laughs> and mm-hmm. now... On top of that, I understand that they take into consideration a player's behavior during their time as a player. But I mean, we're coming up on 13 years. You have done at least as much good as you 
have done damage. And a lot of that damage was to you. I mean, of course, right. there's your your circle yes. and people that are close to you. Uh, and I'm sure you hear about it all the time. And I don't want to beat you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. But for the love of God, like, what the fuck is going on? That's <laughs> ridic- It's ridiculous. I'm so I'm so tired of these powers that be like these people in positions of authority that constantly take their thumb and, and they press it down on people. Yeah. And your, your numbers are there. I mean, you are on a mission now to make people's lives better, which is a lot more than a lot of players that are already in the hall have done. Right. I'm almost, I'm almost finished, Theo. I'm pumped about this. <laughs> <laughs> I know that a lot of people, a lot of people are angry. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I always say, you know, if I have to justify why I should be there, then I probably shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? So, but here's my one argument and it's a mic drop. So there was four best on best tournaments in the nineties, 91 Canada cup, 96 world cup of hockey, 98 Olympics, 2002 Olympics. And I played on all four of those teams. So for a decade, I was considered one of the 23 best hockey players in all of Canada. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. Yeah, that is a mic drop. Representing the country, our country, yeah. and now let him into our Hall of Fame for crying out loud. <laughs> I'll say it for you. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And- here's, here's another stat. Oh. So there's 15 guys in the history of the game that have a point per game in the regular season and a point per game in the playoffs. And 14 of them are in the hockey hall of fame. Mm. I think that's another mic drop. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a mic drop in the distance, Theo. <laughs> so, you know, but that's a good one. Do you know of a gentleman named Liam McGuire? He's someone that's been on the podcast. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Great guy. Great I, guy. Hockey gonna, encyclopedia. Right. I'm going to drop that one on him. And see if he's aware of that one. He probably is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's someone I came across probably. Oh my God, Lord knows how long ago. And I think he was toting around a VHS tap, uh, tape, right. <laughs> throwing that into <laughs> into players and doing presentations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, you've given me more than forty five minutes. I won't keep you any longer. I do want to talk about what you're doing now, which I think yeah. is so fantastic. I've been using the app myself. So oh. Yeah, it's a virtual reality app and and the music for meditation, mindset, all that type yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Uh, a whole well, bunch it's, of it's, categories. It's, it's the next level of meditation. Right. Okay, so you're the yeah. chief relationship officer at Meta Medical Solutions VR. Please speak on that. How did that come to be? Mm. What is the app here for and what transcends this app from anything else yeah. that's out there? So, I have a uh an army veteran who I ride motorbikes with in the summer. And he has severe PTSD from a couple of tours in Afghanistan. And uh, he had the metamedical guys on his podcast. And so they gave him, they gave Mark, which is my army buddy's name. They gave him a free subscription to the app. And so for 27 years, Mark has severe nightmares at night from his PTSD, from his tours in Afghanistan. And within the first two days of him using the app, he didn't have any nightmares. And so uh, this company is a startup. And so Mark suggested to Dr. Pat, who's the CEO of, of MetaMedical, said, you should call Theo. And so I get this random uh, message on LinkedIn from Dr. Pat saying, hey, we got this really cool technology. Would you like to take a look at it, right? So I get on the phone with Dr. Pat. He offers me a job, like, instantly. We got to okay. have you get work for us, right. you know, all this. And I'm like, well, I, I think I should probably use the app first before, you know, before anything else. Fair. <laughs> so the first night I use the app, I'm, like, blown away. Right. So then, you know, day two goes by, day three goes by. And I'm like, I'm like, what is up with this app? Right. So my second book I wrote with a 
uh, a lady named Kim Barthel, who is an occupational therapist, but also has uh, a degree in, in neurobiology. And so I called her and I said, what do you think about this, you know, binaural beat stuff? She's like, it's, it's a game changer. She said, you should be using it. And I go, well, what tracks should I be using? She's like, use this one, this one, this one, this one. So, so I started like every day made a point of, you know, um, listening to, to these uh, beats and I'm telling you, I was more hopeful. I was more, I had more motivation. Uh, you know, my depression was, you know, better. And, uh, and so reading about the science of binaural beats, um, you know, I've done thousands of hours of therapy, all kinds, you know, I've done every type of therapy known to mankind. And what I sort of figured out was there isn't a type of therapy out there that can recalibrate my nervous system. And there isn't anything out there that can recalibrate my brain. Right. And because when we're traumatized as kids, we're constantly in that fight or flight response. And there's very little kinds of therapy that can actually get me into a state where I'm calming down this, this, uh, you know, this system where all of my trauma is stored, right? Because I've had nightmares too. Like I have nightmares for a long time. They're gone. Wow. Right. Right. And, and so uh, like, we're not a meditation app. Like you can be anywhere at any time and, you know, pick out a track, put on a set of headphones. You can be walking, you can be running, you can be working out, you can be vacuuming the floor, you can be watching TV, doesn't matter. The app does all the work for you, right. which is amazing. And, right. you know, and you're using it. That's, that's yeah. amazing. I have it right What's there. your favorite one? Uh, I like the, oh, what do they call it? It's oh, it's right there. Motivation boost. It's at the top. That's okay. the one I listen to all the yeah, time. So awesome. And, and if you can see for like, you know, the listener right there is that the screen moves. Like you can actually look around and yeah, yeah that's that right. is so badass. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty sick. Yeah, so, and we're and we're super excited when our when our VR uh comes out, which is gonna happen really soon. So I can basically put you in any setting you wanna be in, you know. Wow. On a beach on the side of a mountain, you know, on a, on a, you know, a wooded trail where I can put you anywhere you want, which will then enhance. And then once, you know, the AI, the artificial intelligence kicks in, then I can, then we'll be able to start sending you tracks automatically. So wow. you don't even have to search for them. Yeah. Right? So eventually it's so, going to spray water on my face. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Next level. For sure. So yeah, it's been it's been fun to uh, to be a part of uh, to be a part of that. And then I also uh, started working for a company called Ibogaine, uh, uh, Universal Ibogaine. And so basically, it's it's a it's a a tree root that grows in Africa that completely eliminates the detox off of opioids and heroin and alcohol and all these things. Because when people are coming off of opioids or heroin, it's like a, it's like an exorcism. You know, right. if anybody's seen the movie Ray Charles and watching him go through his, mm -hmm. his heroin detox, mm -hmm. you know, this plant basically eliminates all that in about seven days. Hmm. I'll have to get the link for that so I can share it in the description. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a universal eyeball game. Okay. And Right now, we're going through the process of, uh, you know, getting it FDA approved in Canada and the United okay. States. Okay. Uh, we have a treatment facility in Cancun, Mexico, where we've done, I think, 3,700 uh, people have gone through that particular treatment facility. Um, our CEO is in Belize right now trying to open up an, another uh, treatment facility there. So, uh, and my job is basically... Um, uh, 
coming up with the aftercare program for all of these people who go through the Ibogaine um, treatment facility. So, oh, Well, Theo Fleury, future Hall of Famer, <laughs> thank you very much for dropping on the Launchpad podcast. I can't tell you how much the viewership is going to enjoy this, and I wish you continued success in all your endeavors, and you take care, be well, and love simply because you can. Yes, thank you, sir. It was uh, it was a pleasure to be be on, and I'm 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 happy that you're you're using the app and and uh, getting the benefits. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things that drew me to you. I had a whole different season kind of planned, and I really wanted to focus on wellness with COVID, right? Yeah, and of course, so you already covered the alcohol and drug abuse and. Yeah. Depression and anxiety. And then I saw this app and I'm like, well, wow, like this is something that should get out there, right? Yes. Obviously you're in that position for a reason is because you have a voice <laughs> uh, yeah. so to be able to help get that out there. So it's, yeah, an absolute honor to have you on. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you yeah. giving me the opportunity to talk about it because, you know, everybody that <clears throat> I've sent the app to has come back and the feedback has been nothing but positive. So it's, it's, it's a great tool. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you're, you're using it and seeing the benefits.